Well, this past week, a number of our staff members had the privilege of delivering the 250 backpacks that you filled. And so it was a privilege for us to be able to do that. And we're just thankful. It may seem like a small thing, but it makes a big difference to the kids who receive these. And so it's our third year to do this. And I think we've given almost a thousand backpacks now to schools in our local community. So I just want to thank you for serving our community in that way. Like I said, it's a small thing, but when you put a lot of small things together, it makes a big difference. So I want to give just thanks to God for that. And thank you for, for being a part of that. And that also is a reminder that we uh, are starting another year of school. And we have a number of students in here, a number of educators and administrators and homeschool parents. And just it's, it's a smorgasbord of educators. We all are educators in a way, right? But what I want to do right now is just let's spend a few moments um, praying for those who will be heading off to school this week. So if you're a student, uh, a teacher, uh, a homeschool teacher, uh, an, an administrator, a coach, uh, whatever the case may be, would you please stand right now? I want you to stand. That's it. You know that I have a soft spot for y'all. My mom, keep standing, stay standing. My mom was a public education teacher, a public school teacher. I taught for almost a decade and just know the the challenges and the, the impact that teachers make. And students, I want you to know the impact you can have this year and those that you see at your home, in your community, in your, in your hallways, in your classroom, and just uh, a kind word, uh, an acknowledgement of someone's presence, um, what that can do for somebody like you. And so you're not just there to receive, you're there to be a giver as well. So church, let's, let's bow our heads. You can put your hands out towards them if you feel comfortable, and let's pray for these individuals as they head off this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of our minds. We thank you for the gift of education and how it shapes us. And we understand that all knowledge ultimately comes from you, that all truth comes from you. And education really is just bringing the way we think about the world in alignment to you. And so, Father, I pray that this next school year would be one of blessing, one of growth, one of discipleship. God, it is a, uh, it is a grind it is a long haul. And so in those moments of just disillusionment and those moments of discouragement, Father, would you be their portion? Would you be their encouragement? Would you be their peace? Would you go before them this school year? God, I pray for our students that this would be a year um, where they would receive, where they would give, where they would connect with others in Christ-honoring relationships. God, that they would stand firm in the truth when they're being pulled astray or when they're being tempted or when they're being pressured, would they find their identity in you, not in how their peers see them. So root them in the love of the gospel and the love of Christ. Father, be with our teachers. Maybe never been a harder time to teach. Father, would you sustain them by your grace? Would you encourage them? Would you hold them in your hand throughout this school year? We commit this year to you.
that we ask that it would be, you would keep our schools safe, you would keep our kids safe, you would keep our teachers safe as they navigate this difficult terrain. We thank you for the sacrifice they are making, for the impact they are having, and for the lives that they are changing. And so, God, we give you the glory. We commit this school year to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, kids, this is now time where you dismiss. And so you're going to head out these, what's this called? This lane right here through those doors. Your teachers will receive you out there and take you over to the junior high, which is where you will be. So parents, that means from now on, the school year started again, so we'll be picking up your kids over at the junior high, not here in Warrior Hall. And just one more thing, one of our values at the church is being relational, but a quasi-value is being punctual. And so our, our Sunday, our, our, our kids' ministry teachers are asking maybe that you try to be somewhat prompt in terms of when the service ends, if you could head over there and pick up your kids. So we love that you're engaging and doing life together, but maybe do it while getting exercise and walking over to the junior high to pick up your kids afterwards. So with all that being said, would you please stand as we read God's word this morning? Our reading will come from Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. Well, it's really fun for me to have my buddy Ryan here while our, our guy Brandon is on some much needed vacation with this family. I've actually known Ryan for over 20 years. We met on a Young Life ski trip in high school and became friends in our 20s, and he sang at my wedding. And then uh, we worked together for about a decade in San Antonio. So really thankful for him coming up this morning and serving us and leading us in worship. Well, seven weeks ago, we, we started our, our summer preaching series in the book of Psalms. And we started in the very first Psalm. And this morning, we are going to close our series and finish it in an appropriate place, I think, which is the last Psalm, Psalm 150. And whereas Psalm 1 called us to delight in the law of the Lord and, and meditate on his law day and night, Psalm 150 calls us to what? It calls us to praise. It calls us to praise. The final words in the book of Psalms, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here, just in this short psalm, it's, it's only six verses, the psalmist calls us to praise God 13 times, 13 times, just these six verses were called to praise. And, and as he does so, he's going to touch upon what, what I see are a number of questions connected to praise, or he's going to answer 
a number of questions associated with praise. And, and these are the four questions he's going to touch upon just in six verses. Number one, where do we praise God? Number two, why do we praise God? Number three, with what do we praise God? And number four, who is supposed to praise God? So where do we praise him? Why do we praise him? With what do we praise him? And, and who is supposed to praise him? These are the four questions he's going to touch upon here and what we'll spend our morning talking about. So let's, let's start with the first question. Where do we praise him? And we, and we see that in, in verse 1. Because if you look at verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. So the, the psalmist begins, and we, and we don't know who the psalmist is in this case, which is great because it's, it's the everyday man, right? All of us are called on to praise. And, and here we're called to praise with an emphasis on, on location, on where. He says, praise God in his sanctuary and praise him in his mighty heavens. So we praise him in the sanctuary. We praise him in his mighty heavens. And, and this is just an all-encompassing way for the psalmist to say, we praise God everywhere, everywhere, because it all belongs to him. So we praise him in heaven. We praise him on earth. We praise him in the angelic realm in the earth, and in his earthly abode. We praise him in the sanctuary. We praise him in the sky. The where, the where of praise is everywhere we go. So the where of praise is everywhere. It's everywhere we go. But, but praising God everywhere, because think about this, God demands praise everywhere. That must mean we can praise God in a multiple of ways or through multiple things. There's multiple avenues of praise because praising God everywhere won't mean we praise God the same way. For, for example, what we do here on Sunday mornings is one form of praise. It's the corporate gathering. It's the church gathering. It's the, it's the body of Christ coming together, and, and we worship, and we praise, and we sing, and that's an important avenue of praise, but it's just, it's just one. It's just one. There, there, are, there are many. What we do on Monday morning is another form of praise. It's another avenue. Praise is not confined to a church building. Praise is not limited to four songs on a Sunday. It, it's, it's much, much bigger than that, bigger than that, because we're not just going to sit in church all day, right? It's not what we're called to do. We're not just called to sing all day. So praise is going to look different. So let's just name a few of the realms, which you may not think about, in which we actually praise God, in which we praise him, starting with relationships, we praise him through our relationships. You may have never thought about your marriage as if you're married as a form of worship. You may never have thought about your friendships as um, forms of praise. And yet those are avenues in which we praise God. Those are avenues in which we worship God. Not that we worship our spouse, nor the friendship, but that we praise God through them how we interact in them, how we care for one another through our actions and our attitudes within those relationships. There's that fascinating scene, and it's, and it's well known in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is asked the question, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
right? And Jesus says, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment. He says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And all, and all this hang the law and the prophets on these two commandments. And so what he's saying here is that love for God is deeply entwined, like in, in, a, in a way that cannot be disconnected with love for others. So my love for God is reflected, it's displayed in my love for others. And so the way I treat people is a form of praise. You understand that? The way you treat someone is a form of praise to God from those closest to me to those that I don't know, but my actions tangentially touch in the ripples of life. That's one of the ways I praise God. It's an offering. And it's, it's just recognizing that my love for them and the way I care for them is an offering of praise to God. And one of the cool things that does is it frees us up to not have to love people in response to how they're loving us. You see what I'm saying? Because they're not the primary even object of my love. My love for God, my praise for God compels me and leads me into love for them, whether they deserve it or not. And in doing so, I am praising the one who saved me. I am praising the one who created me in my love for others. Another avenue of praise would be our vocation, our work. That's not what we do in between praise. That is one of the ways that we praise. It's one of our avenues of praising God. We praise God through our work, whatever that is. Colossians 3.23, Paul writes, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not unto man. Whatever you do. Whatever it is you do, praise God by how you do it. Whatever it is you do, whatever it is you do, praise God by how you do it. That's one of the ways we praise. I, I love the, the quote from Martin Luther King Jr. which captures this so well. He says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived the great street sweeper who did his job well. Right? One of the ways we praise is through our vocation and how we do things. It's not confined to just our words that come from our lips, but the work that comes from our hands. That's, that's God too. That's a way of praising God too. And that which we create and that which we do for our work, our vocation. Once again, that's not it. There's, there's multiple times in Scripture, Paul talks about how we praise God um, and worship with our bodies. Our bodies. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What's your worship? The presentation of your body as a sacrifice of praise goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
So our very bodies, what we do with them, what we put in them, how we use them, it's a form of praise. And when you peel the layers back or when you kind of take a, you zoom out for a second, our bodies are created to be instruments of praise. That's what they were created for. And once again, I'm, I'm trying to get at the point that because praise is commanded everywhere, praise can arise through most anything. It's not limited to what we do in here. It's displayed in a variety of ways, in a variety of avenues, from how you treat one another to your work, your vocation, whether you're at home or at the, the workplace, to what we do with our bodies themselves. These are instruments and avenues of praise. So the where is everywhere. There's potential for praise all the time, everywhere. And that leads us to the why which is the, the, the second question kind of that the, the psalmist answers that we find in verse two. Why do we praise God? It says, we praise him for his mighty deeds. We praise him according to his excellent greatness. So we praise God. Listen, we praise God for who he is and what he has done. That's the why. We praise God for who he is and what he has done. Uh, another way of saying it, we praise him for his, his actions and his attributes, his character and his con conduct. So what do I mean by attributes? These are the, the character qualities, the, the unique things that make God, God. So what are those? Well, there's some of those big words that you hear people say, right? And these are called the attributes of God. God is immutable. He's unchanging, never changes. He's, he's self-sufficient. Acts 17, he needs nothing. He needs nothing from human hands, the book of Acts says. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, right? He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's sovereign. He's our king. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. He's eternal. He's everlasting with no end. He's wise, he's perfect in wisdom, he's faithful, he's always true, he's just, he's right in all that he does. He's merciful, he's compassionate, slow to anger. He's gracious, offering unmerited favor and forgiveness. He's loving, he is love. He's holy without sin. He's glorious, beautiful, worthy of praise. And there's, there's a number of, of other attributes. But what it is, is it's calling us to reflect upon, to contemplate, to declare the greatness of God, his excellency, by reflecting and declaring his attributes and who he is. And this character, these attributes are displayed in his actions, right? because we worship him for who he is and what he has done. So, so we worship him because he is God and because he is these things, and we worship him because he is God and he has done these things. He is our creator. Like he, he created all, everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is our creator. He, he is the creator of life itself. There is no life apart from God. He is the giver of all good things. 
Whether you're a believer or not, James 1 says that, that all gifts come from the Father of the heavenly lights. That everything we have in this life that is good, everything we have in this life that is good is a gift from God. Everything, including the very breath you are breathing right now. Colossians 1 says that Christ holds the world together. That right now he is sustaining your life. He is sustaining your breath. He is, by his grace, he is keeping you breathing. That's what he's doing at this very second. Not only that, he is our creator, but he is our redeemer. And so we praise him for the gospel of grace. We, we praise him for our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise him because we are sinners. Though we are created in the image of God, though we're created with, for a relationship with God, we were separated from God in our sin, but he didn't leave us in the pasture. He came to find us. And he left heaven and came to earth. God the Son, the Father sent the Son, who comes to earth. And he, the, the, the one who created all things, the one who existed outside of space and time, the one who's immutable and everlasting, the one who's omnipotent and omnipresent, takes on flesh in the form of a baby in the manger and lives a perfect life that we could not live, dies the sacrificial death that we deserve, paying for our sins, setting us free, and conquering death and sin through the resurrection where he rose from the dead, saying, anyone who will place their faith in me, anyone who will trust in me will receive my righteousness, will receive my grace, will experience my mercy and my forgiveness, walk in a newness of life and have eternal life to come. That is what God has done. And because he has conquered sin and death, we have a future. So I praise him for the fact that he has defeated sin, he's defeated death, I've been gifted the Holy Spirit, a down payment of my future inheritance, and that I have a future that awaits me that is glorious because of what Christ has done, because of what God has done. So we praise him for what he has done. And in doing so, there's no shortage of things to praise. I came across a story about a, a British pastor named William E. Sangster in the 1950s, and he, and he began to, his body began, began to betray him, you know, and it, it started falling apart, and he began to lose his voice and mobility, and he had progressive muscular atrophy, and he recognized the end was near, and so he threw himself into writing and praying, and in the midst of his suffering, he wrote these words. He said, let me stay in the struggle, Lord. I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, but give me just a regiment to lead. And ultimately, his, his voice failed and his legs became useless. On Easter morning, just a few weeks before his death, he took a pen and he wrote shakily a letter to his daughter. And this is the words he wrote. It is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout, he is risen. But it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. He is worthy of our praise as we reflect upon who he is and what he has done. There's no shortage of that which we can praise. And so we praise him. It's appropriate to praise God because he is worthy. And then practically, and from a discipleship standpoint, it is through praising God that we are discipled. Like the praise of God is a major way in which we are formed 
spiritually. It, it has been said that what people revere, they begin to resemble. What they revere, they begin to resemble, either for ruin or restoration. In other words, we become what we worship. We become what we worship. And the more we praise God, the more we revere him, the more we honor him, the more that we set our affections upon him, the more that we declare his excellencies, the more that we recall what he has done, the more we are conformed to his image. It's part of the way that happens. It's through consistent praise for who he is and what he has done. So don't miss the opportunity today or any day to praise God for his excellencies, for his attributes, and for his actions. So that's the where, that's the why. Next, we have the question of with what? With what do we praise God? We see that in verses three through five. It says, praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. So this, to me, this is really interesting. This is really interesting. I mean, for one, the psalmist is encouraging the reader to use an assortment of instruments. Right? Like, I mean, seriously, he, he, he mentions them. He says, the lute, the harp, the tambourine, strings, pipe, cymbals. And not only that, he devotes three verses to it. He devotes half the psalm to these various instruments of praise. You know, and, and, and earlier I mentioned that, that praise, that music is not the only avenue of worship. But, but in saying that, don't think I am um, denigrating it or demeaning it or saying that that is not an important expression of worship, that that is not an important expression of praise because what we sing is profoundly influential on how we are shaped. As a matter of fact, you can even look at church history. Um, one of the great first controversies in the church was between this guy named Arius and Athanasius. And one of the ways Athanasius, who was the, one of the fathers of the Trinity, the doctrine of Trinity, one of the ways that he won the debate, that he won the argument, was through putting theology to music so that people would sing it. Because what happens when you sing something? It becomes ingrained, right? You don't go home on Sundays singing my sermon. You're not like, point three, God is awesome. I mean, you're not like, you're not doing that. Hopefully my points are better than that. But, um, but you do sing. That's what reverberates, right? That's what's just pinging around in your soul, is, is that what you sing. Martin Luther, the great reformer, who had a high view of the scriptures, great theologian and wrote tons of commentaries on the scriptures. Did you know that he was also a hymn writer? He wrote roughly 300 hymns, including um, one of the classics, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That's Luther. And Luther wrote, uh, Luther said this about um, music. He said, next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. 
The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man that he should proclaim the word of God through music. And Luther used his hymns to, guess what, express Protestant theology. So it was one of the things he used to shape people's minds, right? For the truth to become ingrained in their soul. And so music, it matters. What we sing matters. It it really does. That being said, I I don't think the psalmist is trying to tell us what our like worship band should look like. I don't think that's the point here. I don't think he's saying, hey, make sure you get that tambourine going because it's going to be key. It's going to be key if your people are going to connect with the Lord. Like, I don't think that's what the psalmist is saying. I think he's using instruments to express something greater about what worship is to be. Okay? And so think with me for a second. Just kind of kind of track with me on this. Let's dig a little deeper. What, what is he saying here? For one, I think he is speaking of the need to praise with a posture of joy. There's a joy that's, don't you sense it when you read those verses? There's an enthusiasm. There's an exuberance. There's a gratitude there. When we make music to the Lord, we are to do so recognizing the greatness of God. Recognizing verse 2, who he is and what he's done. And in response to that, there should be gratitude and joy and this recognition that I I have the privilege now of praising him through song and that the music we make will rise to the ears of our Redeemer. And that's profound, right? And so there's this unique joy. There's this unique gratitude involved. And and look, we spoke last week about how the Psalms express the human condition. And last week we talked about, and one of those is heartache. And we said that a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. They're Psalms of sorrow. And I'll just peel back the curtain a little bit here. Like the last month in our church has been devastating when it comes to pain and sorrow. Like I've been here three and a half years now and easily the last month has been the most, has been the month filled with the most heartache of people in our church. And that's stuff that is private that maybe you don't know about or stuff that is public, stuff that's in the news, but just immense heartache in our church. And the Psalms remind us that it's not incorrect to express that. But what it also reminds us is that it doesn't mean our pain does not eliminate our praise. Our pain does not eliminate our praise. You see, our pain can coexist with praise. It has to because we're commanded to praise and we live in a world full of pain. And so it has to coexist. We don't gloss over our pain, but we don't neglect the praise. They live together in a broken world full of sadness where we have an eternal hope. Of course there's going to be a mix there. Of course. Like when, when, when Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 
Rejoice always. Pray continually. In everything, give thanks. In every circumstance, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He is not aloof. Like, pain is not a foreign concept to the Apostle Paul. He has endured massive amounts of sorrow, desertion, heartache, physical suffering, neglect. He's ostracized, hated by his own people, probably kicked out of his family. He's fully aware of pain. But he says it never eliminates the praise. It never eliminates. We can still have gratitude. We can still have joy, even in the midst of sorrow. And so I see praise being filled with joy. I also see the praise there filled with diversity. Now, diversity can be like a controversial word in our day, depending on how it's used or what it's trying to express. But I think it's safe to say God's a fan of diversity. It doesn't take long. I mean, just look at the world, how people look and talk, the diversity of languages. Not only that, how about the diversity of topography? Did you go to the beach or the mountains this summer? Or are you a lake person? Or did you go in the Buffalo River? Or did you prefer to go to the Sahara Desert? You know what I'm saying? Topography. What about seasons? We live in a single season? No. There's seasons. God's got a diversity. What about night and day? I guess unless you're in Alaska at some point, right? But God is a God of diversity, and there's a diversity to worship. Notice the type of instruments. Nothing's left out. We have a string instrument. We have a wind instrument. Maybe a, some kind of horn. I don't know if they use a brass horn, you know, but some kind of horn. We've got cymbals. We've got percussion all with a role to play in this orchestra of praise. And and the point is not, hey, use these instruments, but rather, hey, you can use any instrument. You can use whatever's at your disposal. And you can play them differently. I mean, look at this. We got sounding cymbals. We got loud clashing cymbals. I don't know the difference of that. I feel like all cymbals are clashing. But you know what I'm saying? He's saying you can play with different intensity, different volume. We have dancing. Joyful expression. We have a harp. You typically think of like harp and dancing? Maybe, I don't know. But there's diversity, right? There's diversity. Because it really is the heart. Play this, play that, whatever. But it's the, where's, what's the heart of the worshiper? Well, whatever's at their disposal. And I'm reminded of this when I have the opportunity to visit churches around the world and see the diversity of worship and instruments used. I'm even reminded of my own background. Yeah, I've told you before, I grew up Episcopal. So I grew up with an organ and singing out of a hymnal. And I feel very comfortable in that sphere and feel like I can very much worship with an organ and a hymnal. But then I, you know, really came to faith as a teenager through Young Life, and I realized you have to have an electric guitar and jeans to really have the Spirit of God. So I went to the largest Bible church in town where they, you know, they would put the camera in the guy's hand shredding the guitar. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, God's moving in this place, you know? And then I sat with that for a while. I was like, oh, that seems a, I don't know, a bit shallow. And then I was like, ah, oh, you can't express yourself because like that, that's manufactured. It's manufactured. 
And then you read something like that, it talks about dancing. You're like, well, it doesn't seem like it's manufactured there. It's the person expressing praise to God in a diversity of ways. And so even this week, I was going through my phone. I was looking at some of my old trips and going places, and I came across a couple of videos that I thought I'd show you uh, of what worship maybe looked like around the world this morning. So we'll, we'll start in Rwanda, where a number of our friends were just uh, a couple of weeks ago at, at New Life Church. So this is me there a few years back. Tired yet? Now let's go to Myanmar. Let's go to Myanmar now in Southeast Asia. Which one's worship? Because they both are. They both are. Those are brothers and sisters in Christ. I was there with them in Rwanda doing that. I was there with them in Myanmar where people are, once again, kicked out of their family oftentimes for being there. But they don't have their hands waving and they're not like, you know, jamming out. Okay. They're playing the, the quieter symbols. You know, it's worship. And God's a God of diversity. And so I think the text is calling us to this place of, is it rooted in truth? Is it from a heart of gratitude and joy? And, and allow some diversity there. And we see that in the various instruments even listed. And so that's the where, the why, and, and the with what. And it brings us to our final question, which is who? Who is to praise the Lord? And the answer is found in the magnificent words of verse 6, which are the last words of the book of Psalms. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I don't think you need to be a Bible scholar to kind of understand what he's saying there. If you breathe in oxygen, you are to breathe out praise. If you breathe in oxygen, you breathe out praise. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I have a, I have a dear friend back in San Antonio. He was actually on staff with Ryan and I, and his brother was an Olympic swimmer and won a number of gold medals in the Olympics in the late 90s and the early 2000s. And so when Michael Phelps came on the scene, I was fascinated to ask about what makes Phelps so great. And if you don't know who Michael Phelps is, he's, he's kind of known as the flying fish. This is him right there. Sorry if that's uncomfortable, but that's all of his, that's what, swim, that's what swimmers wear. I just realized I should have cropped it more. I'm really, this got awkward. Look at me, people, look at me. A lot of bling up there. And so he's the greatest Olympian of all time. He's won uh, 28 medals. The next highest is 18. He's won 23 gold medals. The next highest is nine. 
So I'm, I'm asking this guy, I'm like, what makes Phelps so great? And one of the things that came up time and time again is, dude, the guy's body is uniquely designed for swimming. It's uniquely designed for swimming. And so I, I started researching it, and it's true. And, and just hang with me here. I know it's a little strange, but hang with me. He has a long torso and short legs. He is six foot four, but he has a six foot, he has the torso of somebody who's six eight and legs of somebody who's five ten. So he's got, and that helps him in the water because he has less drag with his legs. He also has a wingspan that is longer than his height. So he's six four, but his arms are six foot seven. He's got major, huge hands that act like paddles in the water. Not only that, he has this strange double-jointed deal where he is, his ankles are double-jointed and allows them to bend 15% more than his rivals. He's double-jointed in his elbows, which allows him to get more thrust, downward thrust in the water. He's also, I've never even heard of this, he's hyper-jointed in his chest, which this means he can kick from his chest. And if that were not enough, researchers found that Phelps produces half the lactic acid of his competitors. So he doesn't get as tired. He can recover quicker, and he has twice the lung capacity of an average human. So he, he's genetically engineered to swim. And so I got this picture, too. This is him warming up for one of his races, displaying some of those unique, shall we say, unique features before he jumps in the water. He's designed for the water. And while that body type has won him 28 medals, it would not be good if he were trying to be a jockey. It would not be good if he was trying to work out with Simone Biles and be a gymnast. And he probably struggles to find clothing, right? That fits appropriately. And so essentially, he excels when he functions in his design. And then outside of it, he falters. Outside of it, he doesn't flourish. And, it, and to me, it's the question of, well, what about us? What about us? What are you and I created for? What are we designed to do? And in, in, in one sense, we are all unique, right? And we have different gifts different personalities. We have spiritual swimmers and spiritual gymnasts and spiritual jockeys. We have something unique about us because God has got a diversity. And at the same time, our design is the same. We are created to worship. We have a purpose of praise. Our bodies are made to worship. Our minds are made to worship. Our souls long to worship. And we find our our homeostasis in praise because that's what we are defined, designed to do. Simply put, we exist to worship. As the Westminster Short Cate Shorter Catechism states, what is the chief end of man? It's the question. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We're designed to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our praise is primary. And I want to finish with this because in a crowd and I know this crowd. I know this church. And in a, in a church full of doers and achievers, it is great to be reminded that first and foremost, we are worshipers. 
Before we're ever a doer or an achiever, we are a worshiper. I appreciate the words of A.W. Tozer on this point. He says, we're here to be worshipers first and workers only second. We take a convert and immediately make a worker out of him. God never meant it to be so. God meant that a convert should learn to be a worshiper. And after that, he can learn to be a worker because the work done by a worshiper will have eternity in it. Our primary response is praise. Our purpose is praise and our mission flows out of that. Our mission to make disciples is an overflow of my design to praise and my heart for God. Everything we do for the Lord is to be an overflow of our worship of the Lord. That's the order. My worship leads to my doing in response to what God has done. And this is the message of Psalm 150. And this really encapsulates in many ways the message of the Psalms as a whole and what the Psalms wants to leave us with. What God, through the Holy Spirit, writing the Psalms wants to leave us with is that we are called to praise. We are created to worship everywhere through almost everything in a variety of ways in response to who God is and what he has done. So let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are worthy of our praise. And so we praise you right now. We praise you in your sanctuary. We praise you alongside your people. We praise you because of the grace that we have received. We praise you because of who you are. God, I pray right now, if, if, if there's somebody in here who maybe is a guest or they wandered in here or they've been far from you, Father, would you open their eyes to the, the praise that belongs to you and you alone. God, we, we resemble that which we revere. We become that which we worship and we, we tend to worship so many things that lead us astray. And so would you bring us back to homeostasis? God, I pray if there's anyone in here right now who has not taken that step of faith, God, that today would be their day of salvation. That by your grace, through your spirit, you would open their eyes to the wonder of the gospel. Of Christ's death for their sin, his bodily resurrection, defeating sin, and the salvation that comes by grace through faith. Would you bring them to that place? Father, we want to praise you with our lives and our lips. Would you help us do that in all things in a variety of ways as you conform us to the image of the Son, to the glory of the Father, now and forevermore. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.